0: You seated. Somehow, we have made it to chapter 5 of First Peter. Although, maybe for y'all, you're like, finally, chapter 5. What's taking so long? Uh, for me, it feels like I don't know how we made it to here. But anyway, uh, so as you're turning there, we'll be in the first four verses of First Peter 5. So see what your gut reaction to this statement is. I want to speak to your manager. I want to have a good reaction hearing that. If you've ever worked in the restaurant world or the retail world, then you've heard that line before, and you have learned to hate that line from customers. Customers can be very angry, and they can be very difficult at times. They may be mad at the total, even though they saw the prices when they ordered whatever it was, or say at the restaurant when I was working, sometimes they're mad at you for insisting on serving them cooked chicken instead of the raw chicken. But regardless of the reason or the lack thereof for a customer's ire, if I was at work at my family's restaurant, I got to handle the complaints. The boss was in the back, but I was the one who was up front apologizing for a mistake or a customer's issue. I was the representative of the real boss, and I had to remember that and try to be patient when I was answering people that I was representing my dad and his business. And so my decisions had to act accordingly. Customers, on the other hand, they couldn't ignore what I said because I represented my dad while I was speaking with them. I had the authority to handle whatever the situation was. In the same way, God has placed shepherds in his church to guide the flock. They don't get to lead and guide however they want. Rather, they have to remember who it is that they really represent and serve. Elders are not the bosses. They work. Or the boss. Christ is the chief shepherd who leads his church. And elders must remember that. But on the flip side, that doesn't mean that the Christian in the pew can ignore the over-shepherds placed over them. Because God has placed the elders there. They are Jesus' under-shepherds. They will make mistakes. They will lead imperfectly. And yet Christ can still use them to lead and shepherd his church. Because he is the true shepherd. Therefore, the believer cannot submit to Christ, but then reject his under-shepherds. To follow Christ is to submit to his authority and even his representatives. So because Christ is the chief shepherd, you must follow him. That's the big picture of the sermon today. Because Christ is the chief shepherd, you must follow him. So with that introduction, let's read 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 4. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Let's pray. Lord God, help us and guide us as we walk through this passage. You are not just our shepherd when it comes to suffering, but even as we struggle to understand the things of your word. So, Lord, lead us this morning, we pray. Give us of your spirit and keep us from error. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. So as we begin a new chapter in this letter, we need to understand the purpose of this next section. Peter has discussed the ins and the outs of suffering as a believer, running all the way through to the end of chapter 4. Now in chapter 5, it almost seems as though Peter has completely changed directions to discuss elders in the church. But while different chapters, they are connected very closely. That's why in verse 1, you see that it begins with the word, so. That is the the link, the connector between these two chapters. So Peter addresses the elders because it is they who lead the church on the earth. They are the ones who have to shepherd believers undergoing persecution and suffering. And the elders may well be the first ones to face persecution in the church as the leaders. Furthermore, back in chapter 4, verse 17, it told us that judgment begins at the house of God. And so the implication with what Peter's doing here as he turns to the elder topic seems to be that elders as the leaders are the starting point of God's refining process in the church. So Peter is specifically addressing the leaders because they will need his encouragement to lead well. And if elders do not lead and shepherd well, the church will never flourish. So look at two points this morning. The first is that because Christ is the chief shepherd, You must shepherd together. So Peter was in many ways the most prominent of the apostles. He was their spokesperson doing most of the speaking and the leading in the early part of the book of Acts. He was one of the two apostles in Jesus' inner circle. He walked with Jesus through his ministry. Now, if any leader in the church had the right to hand out unilateral commands, it would probably be Peter. But he doesn't do that in this text. Instead, we'll see that he appeals to the elders of the church as partners in the ministry of the gospel. So while Peter was one of the most important apostles, he was also humble and gentle with the rest of the flock. And we noted already that God refines the leaders of his church first, oftentimes. And Peter had been refined greatly in his life already. He walked with Jesus, he was one of the most outspoken disciples. And yet we know that his record was far from perfect. He denied Jesus after his arrest. And not just once, but he denied him three times. The great apostle Peter once rejected the Messiah. But by God's grace, Peter did what Judas could not. And he repented. And then he was restored by Jesus after the resurrection. And when Jesus restored him, he asked him a question. He asked, Peter, do you love me? And Peter answered him and said, yes. And then Jesus responded by telling him to feed his sheep. But then Jesus asked the same question. Peter gave the same answer. And Jesus responded again by telling him to tend the sheep. And then for a third time, Jesus asked Peter if he loved him. Peter, we are told, was grieved that Jesus asked him a third time. But he answered nonetheless as he had before Yes. And for a third time, Jesus responded by telling him to feed his sheep. There are three things we can learn from that exchange. First, Jesus was restoring Peter with a three-fold question, answer, and response that matched the way Peter denied Christ three times. Second, Jesus cares for his flocks and he feeds them through his ministers. Peter's duty as an apostle and a minister of the gospel, if he truly loved Jesus, was to feed the flock. The triple command to feed the flock also shows us just how crucial this role is in the church, to to feed and tend the flock. And the third thing we can learn from this exchange was the way that Peter was told in which he would die. Peter's life, even as a shepherd and apostle was God's to do with as he pleased. The Lord used him for the good of his church and his glory, even in the way that Peter was crucified for the faith. The leaders of the church must be ready to feed the sheep, and if required, die for them, if that is God's will. And so Peter wrote to other leaders both with humility and with an understanding of what he was really asking them to do. Furthermore, Peter did not write to lesser ministers or to only a few. Here he addresses elders, plural, in the churches. In fact, the word for elder, presbyteros, which is where we get the word Presbyterian, it never appears in the singular form in the New Testament once. The church should never be under the guidance of only one elder. The biblical standard is always for each church to be led by a plurality of elders. Two heads are better than one, and the church leadership is no different. Jesus did not design his church to be a dictatorship. Multiple men can use their combined wisdom and their combined gifts to shepherd and guide the church to fruitfulness. But having a plurality of elders also allows them to hold each other accountable and even prevents the abuses of power that Peter lists in verse 2. The church cannot flourish without godly men holding each other accountable and working together well to lead. That's a wonderful model for us to see the way in which Peter, the great apostle, addressed the elders in the church. He could have appealed to his office as an, as an apostle and he could have laid down the law, but that's not what he does. Instead, he appeals to the leaders in his in the churches as his equals. More than that, they were his partners and fellow laborers in the gospel. Paul addressed other ministers and elders in very much the same way. The apostles understood that if the church was to grow and if it was to flourish, the elders had to lead well as the guides of the church. In fact, one of the many purposes of the New Testament is to show how the church was established by the apostles' leadership and passed on to the elders of the church to carry on. They established the foundation on which all future elders were to build upon. And so Peter addresses those leaders in order to prepare and encourage them to do their duty. He addresses them as, fellow, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. And here he identifies with the elders in three ways. First, he identifies himself not as their boss or even as an apostle, but as a fellow elder in the church. And how encouraging it is as an elder to know that the apostle Peter himself was a fellow elder. Peter, though, was also a witness of the suffering of Christ. So he wasn't just a fellow elder, but he was a witness of Christ's suffering. And as he writes, he recognizes that so are the elders that he is writing to. Now, does that mean that every elder and Peter himself saw the crucifixion? Well, no, because if you remember correctly, Peter didn't even see the crucifixion. Remember that he ran away when Jesus went to the cross. So to be a witness in this sense that Peter's talking about is to bear the gospel message of the life, death and resurrection of Jesus. And notice that as he encourages elders to build them up for the coming persecution, he doesn't mention Christ's resurrection He mentions his sufferings. So Jesus suffered for his church. And as the apostles and all the believers suffer, they follow after Jesus and his suffering. And then lastly, Peter appeals to the common hope of glory. He shares with the the other elders. All believers share in the same hope of glory with Christ. We are to be forward thinking throughout our lives and throughout every trial. It is that hope of glory and heavenly reward that is the motivation for us to continue on. Ministry cannot be done well unless one ministering has an eye to glory. And in all three of these ways, Peter is a partner in the ministry with other elders. now that Peter has identified with the elders and reminded them of the common reward and hope they share, he turns to the primary command of these verses. He writes, I exhort the elders among you, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Again, notice the plurality of elders mentioned. This letter was written to be carried from church to church and read. Peter is assuming that every church will have multiple elders among them to address. There's no leadership, then there's no church. So Peter, having received the threefold command of the Lord Jesus to feed the sheep, understood the means feeding them, the way in which he was to feed them. He knew that the key to the church growing was to raise up elders who will love and feed the sheep long after he was gone. That was Peter's goal. The church must have godly elders to grow and to bear fruit. The church needs godly shepherds. And it's no accident that Peter uses the terminology of shepherding here either. Back in chapter 2, verse 27, Jesus was called the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Something that every elder must understand is that you are not the leader of the church. Jesus is the good shepherd who leads his church. You are the under shepherds of the church serving Christ. And there are several elders in this room and hopefully some future elders too. And so for you men who are elders in Christ's church, this passage is in encouragement. And a reminder for you. For those of you who may one day become elders, this passage is very important for you to meditate on and, and to think about and to understand. Paul says in 1 Timothy 3.1 that if anyone aspires to the office of elder, he desires a noble task. It is a noble task and one every young Christian man should desire to one day hold. But it's not an easy task. And you need to know that. And for you ladies, this is still a very important text and topic for you to meditate on and study. You and all the men who will never hold office need to know what an elder is. And more importantly, you need to understand what a godly elder looks like. Lord willing, we will have nominations for deacon and elder at some point in the near future. And you need to know what to look for in a godly elder. You need to know how to pray for your current elders. And you need to help them as well by being a good flock. In other words, this passage may be directed towards elders, but it is a crucial passage for the health of the entire church. God didn't give out one Bible for the leaders and then another for everybody else. All of God's word is for all of us. And in the scripture, it commands elders to work together to shepherd the flock of God that is among you. So That was the first point. The second point is this. Because Christ is the chief shepherd, you must shepherd well. So now that Peter has given the command to shepherd the flock, he can turn and give us descriptions of what good shepherding looks like. And this text is interesting in that it is very different from some other passages giving elder qualifications. 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1, they list qualities of prospective el- officers. But rather than list the same qualities or, or add to that list... Peter's more focused on how they behave while going about their duties. Now that doesn't mean that Peter is, that Peter thinks Paul is wrong about his views or anything like that. Peter has a different purpose in writing. Paul wrote the qualifications for the sake of teaching how to identify and elect new elders. Peter, on the other hand, is writing to encourage elders and tell them how to behave in the face of persecution and suffering. Therefore, he focuses more on the glory and the future reward for serving faithfully rather than on the character qualities themselves. So to encourage and prepare the elders, Peter uses three contrasts in verses 2 through 4. And all three contrasts use the same pattern. Peter says to shepherd, not like this, but like this. And the purpose of these contrasts, It's not to cover every single topic, but to give the general pattern of how an elder should behave. And we can see that by the repetition that Peter uses. The elders are to shepherd and to exercise oversight in the church. And notice that this is also, it matches well the title given to Jesus back in chapter 2 as the shepherd and overseer of our souls. The words for shepherding and for oversight are very similar, and they're often used interchangeably throughout the New Testament. But nonetheless, you do see slight differences between these two descriptions. Shepherding implies a gentleness and a care for the flock, while oversight tends to lean more towards the firmness needed in teaching, ruling, and guarding the doctrine of the church. So to understand what shepherding and oversight should look like, we can now turn to the contrasts. The first contrast is that elders must exercise oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly. So not only is shepherding difficult, but it can also bring persecution. People are notoriously difficult, even good Christian believers. Sorry to tell you all that, but we are a messy and a fallen people. We are redeemed saints, yes, but we also have indwelling sin. And that indwelling sin leads to all sort of conflicts and issues in our lives. And elders have to be willing to bear the burden of ministering the gospel to those who need shepherding. And there's no way to get to know people and help them apply scripture to their lives without in some way being affected by them. And more often than not, saints will encourage you and build you up in good ways. But there's still really, there's a heaviness that comes with entering into the brokenness of people's sin And suffering. And that can really weigh on you at times. It is not an easy task, nor is everyone well suited to the work of shepherding. But in order to be an elder, you must be willing to get involved and enter into the mess of people's lives. If you have to be forced into the office, then you shouldn't be there. You must be a willing shepherd, or you shouldn't be an elder at all. Now, Peter adds a qualifier as God would have you. Now, literally, the Greek just says, according to God. So, Peter could mean that you are to shepherd as God does, or in a way, approved by God. And both are true, and it doesn't really make a difference which you choose. The important thing that he notes is that you are accountable to God for how you shepherd the sheep. They are His sheep, so you better take good care of them. So, if you see the value and the beauty of Christ's bride, then you, would, you will shepherd as God would have you. So that's the first contrast. The second contrast is that elders must shepherd not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Now, a common problem with all leadership positions in the world is that they attract many people who should not be in positions of power. If you need an example of that and how that works, you haven't been paying attention to the government leaders in this country very well. Some seek positions of leadership, even in the church, in order to feed their greed. They want something, be it money or influence or just to feed their ego. But none of those things is ever a reason to pursue the office of elder. It is wrong to seek the office of elder for evil motives. That really goes without saying. But Peter says that you must exercise oversight eagerly, on the flip side. You could say zealously or energetically. In other words, there needs to be a strong desire, not for money or prestige, but to minister to needy souls. Growth and the maturity of the church has to be your top priority and passion. In other words, you must seek to glorify Christ through your work, period. So that's the second contrast. The third contrast is that elders must shepherd, not domineering over those in their charge, but being examples to the flock. So just as some seek positions of authority for greed, others seek it in order to gain power. Peter likely had in mind Jesus' words to him from Matthew 20, verse, starting in verse 25. But Jesus called, to them, to, called them to him and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you Must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. The church is not the world. It is to be entirely different from the fallen and evil leadership models we see in the cultures around us. The leaders of the church must be servants first and foremost. That is part of why we are called shepherds. And not kings. The shepherd of the ancient world had to protect his sheep from all sorts of predators and dangers. It was not a safe profession. The good shepherd put his life at risk in order to guide and protect the sheep. The elder must shepherd for the good of the flock, protecting and leading it. The shepherd had to guide the sheep on safe paths to good grazing land and safe drinking water. And in the same way, the elder has to feed the sheep with the word. Martin Luther says that the primary way to shepherd the flock is through the preaching and the teaching of the gospel. Serving others with the gospel is never going to be domineering. Instead, as we preach and as we live out the gospel, we become examples to the flock. Now, the theme of imitation is something that flows throughout the New Testament. Now, ultimately, we imitate Christ with our lives. Peter has already explained that we imitate Christ as we live holy lives and even as we suffer for his name. Paul says to imitate him as he imitates Jesus. And so elders, too, are examples or types of Christ for the flock. Now, don't misunderstand me. They are not Jesus and they can never function as such. But they are to image and imitate Christ in all their behavior. in other words, in the words of Paul, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Now, that is a lot of work for the elder. It is not an easy thing to be called to. And over time, the duties can be wearisome and even exhausting. But the call is to endure resting in the grace of God for each day's challenges. Even in difficulties, even in persecution, the call is the same for the elder. Pursue Christ and seek to serve him and the church faithfully now. You might ask the question, what's the result? What is the result of seeking to behave as a godly shepherd? Well, the health of the church is a result. But Peter gives a different answer in verse 4. The word says that when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. So here we see the grand result of the faithful elders service. When Jesus returns, he comes with a reward. And this is the only place where the title chief shepherd is applied to Christ in the Bible. Hebrews 13 refers to him as the great shepherd. And back in uh, chapter two, verse 25, Peter called him the shepherd and overseer. But isn't it interesting that in a passage talking about elders as shepherds, that Jesus is presented as the chief shepherd? So even in the titles used for Jesus, Peter is teaching. The elder is not serving himself, nor is he serving by himself in a vacuum. Elders are the under shepherds of Jesus, the chief shepherd who is returning soon. And when he returns, the under shepherds will have to answer for how they cared for the sheep. Now, that's something that should strike fear to anyone who is abusing the flock of God. The master is returning, and he will require the help of his sheep at the hands of his shepherds. So for any, any who abuse their position, they will answer to the judge of the whole world. I hate to tell you this, but the church is not immune to abusive leadership. In fact, it's something that happens far too often. And so for those who have suffered at the hands of bad leaders, God will one day make it right. On that day, the abusers will the abusers of the flock will will not receive the unfading crown of glory. But for the elders who serve faithfully, this is a great encouragement. And notice that I did not say perfectly, I said faithfully. For those who lead to the best of their abilities, despite their own sin and failures, there is immense hope in this promise. Ministry may be difficult, but God will reward you for your work. Now, often there's a misconception in the church that we're never to seek a reward for our work. But here we see that's not biblical. Scripture forbids the laying up of treasures in this world and in this life. God warns us about that kind of greed. But we are also positively commanded to seek treasures in the next life where nothing can destroy them. It's what Jesus says in Matthew 6, starting in verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So that is the type of treasure that we must seek. Now, there are many passages that encourage all believers to run the race well. James one twelve is an example of that. It says, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life. But here, Peter says that elders, in particular, will be rewarded in glory for their work now. To you, elders, Jesus will give the unfading crown of glory. Now, in the ancient world, wreaths and crowns, and this word can be used for either Depending on the context, these were given to victorious athletes. They were given to outstanding soldiers and even emperors. But those wreaths faded. And even the crowns of metal tarnished. Even if the crown was kept polished and nice, the head on which it rested eventually wasted away to the grave. But the crown of glory is one that will never fade. Nor will the victorious saint on which it is placed ever diminish. There is a reward for the elder who shepherds Christ's flock faithfully. Therefore, elders, do not cease from pursuing that crown. Push on and finish well. And for the rest of you, I encourage you to pray for your elders. Do not neglect in helping them obtain their crown of glory. You too are awaiting a crown of righteousness. So we should press on together in order to obtain it. Beloved, seek to win the prize and to really make it Your own. And to my fellow elders, partake. My fellow elders to partake in the glory to come, let us strive to help these saints arrive home to their rewards. Because therein lies our path to reward also. But in doing all this and thinking about all this, we cannot forget the source of our crowns. Our rewards and glory are not of ourselves. They are rooted in one who once wore a very different sort of crown. John 19, then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head. The path to glory for the Son of God led him to suffer for the sin of the entire church and to die in her place. Only then was he raised from the dead and glorified to take his seat on the throne in glory. And he now wears the crown of life as the almighty king of the universe. But first he suffered on your behalf. Therefore, as you suffer trials and persecution in this life, first off, know that Jesus was there first. If our Lord was willing to suffer for you, you must be willing to follow him wherever he leads you to go. And persecution and suffering, they may well be a part of that path. But the end of that trail is never-ending glory with Jesus Christ. The end of the journey is an unfading crown Press on, saints. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the hope of the gospel. For in the end, everything boils down to the glorious truths of the blood of Christ covering us. So, Lord, we rejoice in that. We take great hope and encouragement from that. Lord, help us to run the race well. Help us who are elders to shepherd the flock faithfully, remembering that we will give an account to you and that also you promise a reward Lord, help all of us to remember that you have promised a crown of righteousness to everyone in Christ. It is not earned by us. It is not deserved by us. And yet through Christ, it is something you have promised. Lord, help us to lay hold of that promise and to take great hope, joy, and encouragement from it. Even as we live the rest of this day, even as we use the rest of your day to worship. Lord, give us these things, we pray, and we ask them in in Christ's name.